Please take a Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. If you're using one of the Bibles that you might have picked up on the way in, that's page 919. Romans chapter 11. We've been systematically working our way through the book of Romans. And when we reached Romans 9 through 11, we've taken some time to really look at these three chapters and the very specific question that they are asking, which has to do with why are there not more ethnically Jewish people who are believers in Jesus as the Messiah? Now, we've taken these three chapters and used these as an opportunity to talk about divine sovereignty and free will. We've used these chapters to talk about the fact that God is merciful, that that is what is animating what God is doing. We've used these three chapters to hear from the Lord that he's not made salvation difficult either for Jews or for Gentiles. He's made it near to us, easy to understand. Simply confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Now we reach Romans chapter 11 and we want to use this opportunity to specifically answer the question, what about the Jewish people? What about those who are biological descendants of Abraham? All the things that we've done in Romans 9 through 11 have been applicable to us, and today I do believe that God has some application for us. We're going to look at that when we get through this teaching, but... We need to answer this question because God has written it for us and we need to understand what it is that he's doing in human history. And so today we're going to work our way through Romans chapter 11. Admittedly, it's a difficult passage. Admittedly, there are lots of questions that it will raise. But our prayer is, is that God through his spirit will explain to us what his plan is that we might understand how God has been at work throughout history. So Romans chapter 11, we begin in verse 1. I ask then, did God reject his people? That is the question that's on order. That's what Paul began Romans 9 with, asking the question about his fellow Jewish people. And after all the discussion about divine sovereignty and free will, about God's mercy, about how salvation is easily available to all, Paul asked the question, in the face of the fact that the majority of Jewish people today and at the time of Paul are not believers in Jesus as the Messiah, can we conclude from that that God has rejected the Jewish people? Can we conclude from that that God is done with the physical descendants of Abraham? Keep reading with me. By no means, Paul says, I am an Israelite myself 
a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what Scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The first answer to the question, has God rejected the Jewish people, is by no means, because in Paul's day, same as today, there are those who are biologically descended from Abraham, Jewish people, who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. When I was in college, my pastor at the church I attended to was a Jewish believer in Jesus. When I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, the professor I took the most classes from and who had the most influence on me as a professor happened to be a Jewish believer in Jesus. I'm in a pastor's group. We meet uh, every October for a week. One of my close friends in that group is a Jewish believer in Jesus. He actually works at a school that trains Jewish believers in Jesus to be leaders of Messianic Jewish congregations. We have a number of people here at Calvary Church who are ethnically Jewish who have acknowledged that Jesus is the Messiah. That's always been the case throughout history, and that's what Paul is saying is on one hand, God has not rejected his people because today, just like throughout history, all over the world, there are people who are descended from Abraham who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. But the chapter goes on. Even though that is the case, verse 7, what then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Here Paul is acknowledging that while there is currently a remnant of Jewish people who have accepted Jesus as the Messiah, that group is in the minority. The majority of Jewish people have rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And what Paul is alluding to in these verses is that somehow their rejection of Jesus as Messiah is part of God's plan that he is working out in history. Now, verses 11 through 24 
are going to describe for us what God has been up to. And now here we're talking about on a salvation history scale, on a historical scale. And Paul is going to explain to us what God's plan is as it relates to Jews, those who are biological descendants of Abraham, and Gentiles, that's the rest of us who are not Jewish, what God is up to, has been up to in the past, and what is coming in the future. Let's look at what he has to say. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for their world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Paul is hinting at what's going to happen in the future, which we're going to get to in the later part of this chapter. Verse 13, I am talking to you Gentiles, that's you and I, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arise, arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their repentance be but life from the dead. Here is Paul is saying, it's still possible today for Jewish people to accept Jesus as the Messiah, and that's Paul's earnest hope and prayer, is that individual Jewish people will accept Jesus as Messiah. However, the fact that the majority are currently rejecting Jesus is part of a bigger plan of God. Now he's ready to unfold this plan for us, and he's going to use some imagery, that of a tree. Let me read you the image, imagery, and then let me show you a graphic and walk through it that hopefully will help explain God's plan in history as it relates to Jews and Gentiles. Verse 16, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. Now here's really the imagery he's going to use. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourselves to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. 
And if they do not persist in unbelief, not the Jewish people, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Now again, it's a complex teaching, but the imagery that Paul is using here is that of a tree. So let me show a graphic to try to help explain what's going on. Paul is talking about what is happening in human history, and he's broken up human history into three stages in this passage. The first stage is from Abraham to the crucifixion of Jesus. And this is what he is describing as the root and trunk of a tree. And the idea is, is what Paul is saying in this passage is from the time of Abraham when God chose a particular individual and promised to engage with his biological descendants from the time of Abraham until the crucifixion, the majority of people who were engaging with God and believers in God were Jewish people, those who were biological descendants of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Hannah, Deborah, David, Elijah, Elisha, and millions more, the majority of people who God was working directly with from the time of Abraham until the crucifixion were Jewish people. Now God worked with Gentiles as well. We have so many examples in the Old Testament. Rahab and Ruth, the Ninevites, uh, the Queen of Sheba, on into Jesus' ministry, the Syrophoenician woman, the Gerasene demoniac. There are all sorts of Gentiles that God was bringing to faith. However, from the time of Abraham to the crucifixion of Jesus, the majority of people who were followers of God, the majority of people that God was working with were Jewish people. And that represents the first stage in what we would call salvation history or God's unfolding plan throughout history. However, with the crucifixion of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, Paul is talking about that event as the rejection of God's plan not by all Jewish people. Remember, Mary is Jewish and Peter is Jewish and the 12 apostles are Jewish and most of the first believers in Jesus are Jewish. But by the leadership and the majority, the crucifixion of Jesus represents the rejection of God's plan. And so that introduces a second stage in salvation history, the one in which we are living now. We can put that second stage up there. Now, if you'll notice, you kind of have to look at the graphic carefully. Paul says some branches were broken off so that other branches could be grafted in. 
The point is, if you've got a root, roots and a trunk of an elm tree, you would not expect birch branches to grow out of that root and trunk. You would expect elm tree branches to grow out of that root and trunk. What God is saying is, is the roots and the trunk are Jewish. What you would expect is Jewish branches growing out from that root, those roots and that trunk. But God, as part of his plan, in response to Jewish rejection of Jesus as Messiah, has broken off some of those branches to make room for Gentiles, that's you and me if you're not a Jewish person here this morning, to be grafted into the tree, to be part of what God is doing. This is the age of the Gentiles. It's referred to by Jesus as this in Luke chapter 21, verse 24, when Jesus is predicting the future. He says, Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Jesus is speaking during his first coming, predicting the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and is saying from that moment on, the city of Jerusalem will continue to be trampled on by Gentiles until this second stage in salvation history is done. We're currently in this second stage. If you go to Jerusalem today, you will see that there are lots and lots of Gentiles who are trampling all over the city of Jerusalem. Some are there in peace. Some are there in war and in conflict. But the idea is Jerusalem does not currently belong wholeheartedly to those who are biological descendants of Abraham. This is a direct fulfillment of what Jesus said. And he said during this time, the time in which we live today, this is the era or the age of the Gentiles, which means the majority of people who are hearing the gospel and the majority of people who are responding to the gospel are Gentiles. There is a minority of Jewish people, a remnant, who are hearing the gospel and responding. And Paul says that has been true throughout history. And that is an evidence that God has not rejected his people. But currently, according to Jesus, we live in the age of the Gentiles. That God's work all over the world, the majority of people who are hearing and responding to the gospel are not physical descendants of Abraham. Part of the reason that God is doing this is because he wants to make Israel jealous so that he might save them. It's interesting, I was talking to a friend about a year ago. He leads lots of trips to Israel. And I was asking him sort of how that went, and he's been doing it for years and years, and he said... Greatest thing happened uh, about a year ago, so two years from probably today. His Israeli tour guide became a believer in Jesus. 
She had been leading their tours for years and years. And what he said was, as you know, after all of these years of all these Gentiles showing up in Israel, spending all of this money and all of this time and all of this effort to worship Jesus, God used that to get through to her that Jesus is the Messiah. That's what Paul is talking about here. Even during the age of the Gentiles, God wants everybody to be saved. You know what I think is so interesting? So I've been to Israel a number of times. It's always fascinating to me. Economically, tourism is one of the top uh, money makers or the top industries in Israel today. It's amazing to me. What that means is, is the most important person for Israel's secular economy today is still Jesus. Do you understand that? I always thought that was, when I get there, I'm like, this is crazy. There are millions of people from all over the world who are not Jewish at all, who are in Israel because of a Jewish man named Jesus. Listen, that's part of God's plan. He's using the blessings, and it is a blessing to be able to go uh, to the Middle East. It is a blessing to be able to go to Israel. We wouldn't be able to do that if God hadn't provided money or God didn't provide the means to do that. But one of the reasons is because he wants to use what he's doing in the lives of Gentiles during this age to help win Jewish people to himself. Now, the interesting thing is, is in the first era, from Abraham to the crucifixion, he did the same thing with Jewish people to win Gentiles. The queen of Sheba shows up and comes to faith because God is blessing Solomon in such a great way. Now the same thing is happening, but it's reversed. God is working more closely with Gentiles, pouring out his blessing and using that to help win Jewish people to faith. This is the analogy Paul is walking us through. This is what he's talking about. The crucifixion is the rejection. The first stage from Abraham to the crucifixion, God is dealing with Jewish people in the majority. From the crucifixion until what we're about to see, the second coming of Jesus, this is the age of the Gentiles where you and I live right now, where the majority of what God is doing is with Gentiles who are not physical descendants of Abraham. But Paul's point is, God has not rejected his people because there's still one more stage in the plan. Paul's saying God is not done yet, and that final stage is spelled out beginning in verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part, that's the breaking off of the branches, until the full number of the Gentiles has come in, until all of the Gentile branches that are going to be grafted in have been grafted in. Once that is done, when the last Gentile comes to faith, during this age of the Gentiles, in this way, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. 
He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. What Paul is saying is when Jesus returns, the second coming of Jesus to this earth, what will happen is is that we will have the final portion of the tree. And what's going to take place is when Jesus returns, Jewish people will see for themselves with their own eyes that he is coming to rescue them and to set up a millennial kingdom on this earth and to make good on all the promises God has made to Abraham. When that happens, Jewish people who are living at that time forward will see that Jesus is the Messiah. They will confess him as Lord. And what happens when anybody confesses Jesus as Lord? They will be saved. What God has done is he has made promises to Abraham and his physical descendants. God will fulfill those promises. And when Jesus returns, Jewish people who are living at that time will come to see that he is Messiah. The scales will be gone. They will believe and the majority will come to faith. That's what all Israel will be saved mean. It doesn't mean all of Israel throughout human history. It means at that time when Jesus appears in the sky, all of Israel will be saved. After all, if you ask a Jewish person, one of the main problems they have with Jesus as the Messiah, he didn't set up an earthly kingdom. He didn't set us free from Rome. That's the main stumbling block, the Bible says, of the crucifixion of Jesus. How can the Messiah be crucified? He's the rescuer. He's the political deliverer. But when Israel is surrounded by her enemies and the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, returns again a second time to set up an earthly kingdom, all Jewish people living at that time will see that Jesus is Lord and they will be saved. And again, the Bible tells us, not in this passage, but in other passages, there will be a hardening that takes place among Gentiles so that they will not be able to see, because of their sin, they will not be able to see that Jesus is Lord. This is the plan of God throughout salvation history. Paul says God has not rejected his people in part because today there are ethnic descendants of Abraham who are coming to faith in Jesus, but also because of the plan that God has throughout history. Now, what are we supposed to do with this teaching? More than just hopefully an interesting understanding of what's going on in Romans 11. What does God want you and I to do with this teaching today? Three things. First is the matter of Jewish evangelism today. I'm often asked the question, what happens if a Jewish person dies without believing in Jesus during this time? Well, look in verse 28, 
of Romans 11. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies, enemies of God, for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, for God's gift and his call are irrevocable. What Paul is saying is, during this era, the age of the Gentiles, because of their rejection of Jesus, they have made themselves enemies of God. Yes, they are still connected to the patriarchs, and so God has a bigger plan throughout history for the Jewish people. But Paul has been very clear throughout the book of Romans. Every single person, Jew and Gentile, are alike separated from God because of sin. And that anyone who rejects Jesus as Messiah is separated from God. So on the matter of Jewish evangelism, Paul is saying, look, this is why I'm working so hard to share the gospel with Jewish people during this era of the Gentiles is because apart from Jesus, they are lost. So the encouragement for you and I is, God has used the rejection of the majority of Jewish people to open salvation to you and to me who are Gentiles. But part of the goal is so that we might share the good news of Jesus with those who are Jewish people who do not yet know Jesus. The fact that Jewish people will believe in Jesus as Messiah when he appears at his second coming and be saved is only useful if they live to that day. God is very clear. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and apart from Jesus. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And so God wants you and I to realize, look, our branches, we're connected to David and to Abraham and to Jacob and to Hannah and to Deborah. We're connected to these Jewish people and what we have received through a Jewish Messiah who happens to be Lord of the whole universe. We need to share with those who are biological descendants of Abraham. So on the matter of Jewish evangelism, God wants us to share the gospel because all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Second application for you and I today. God wants us to approach what's going on in human history and in our own salvation with humility. Look back again in verses 20 and 21. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. In other words, if being a Jewish person is not enough 
to rescue someone from separation from God, if simply being a biological descendant from Abraham is not enough, then you and I need to realize that simply being associated with Christianity, coming to church, being around Christians, being in the era of the Gentiles, being in a nation that is somewhat friendly towards Christianity is not enough. They were broken off even though they were connected biologically to Abraham. They were broken off because they refused to believe in Jesus. And the encouragement to you and I is not to be arrogant and think, well, I go to a Christian school or everybody in my family is Christian or I'm part of a church as if somehow that's enough. God made it very clear each individual person must confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. In Romans 10, God is telling us, look, I've not made this that hard. In Romans 11, God is telling us, listen, you can't just confess Jesus as Lord and then forget all about it and get on with doing whatever you feel like doing. That's not faith that Jesus is Lord. We need to continue to live in such a way that Jesus is Lord. We need to continue to believe, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so God says, look at the Jewish people. Do you see what rejection and lack of faith results in? Don't think that you and I simply because we're around lots of Christians or we think we're part of a covenant or we in a Christian family or went to a Christian school, every single person must confess that Jesus is Lord. Third application from this teaching. Paul began Romans 9 by telling us that he has deep anguish in his heart and you may remember that we were in, when we were in Romans 9, we talked about the fact this is coming on the heels of Romans 8, where Paul affirms how great God's love is and how nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we talked about how just because God loves us doesn't mean in this life we're not going to go through difficulties or periods of anguish. Paul himself, in the face of God's great love, was in deep anguish over the Jewish people who did not believe. When we get to the end of Romans 11, the point is, when you see how God is working in human history, that can help us understand how he's at work in our lives individually. Look with me at verses 29 to 32. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too, they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. When we understand what God is doing in human history, that there are times when he responds to our rejection or the rejection of others by allowing a hardening to come in, 
but for the purpose of being merciful. Remember Romans 2, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. When we see that God is doing this on a macro scale, on a cosmic scale with Israel and the Gentiles, then we come to realize that God is also at work in our lives individually. And the two things that are animating God as he is working throughout salvation history is faithfulness to his promises and mercy to sinners. God made promises to Abraham. God made promises to Abraham's descendants. Those promises are irrevocable. God cannot be unfaithful. What God has said will come to pass. Now it is taking millennia for him to work out his plan. But at the end of time, God will have shown himself to be absolutely and totally faithful. There is not one promise that God has made to the nation of Israel that will fail to come to pass. So too, there is not one promise that God has made to you or to me that will fail to come to pass. If the rejection of the majority of Jewish people of Jesus as Messiah has not nullified the promises of God to Abraham's descendants, then there is no way and there is nothing that you and I can do that will separate us from the faithfulness and the love of God. It's going to take some time. Look at how long it's taking him in human history. The same is true in our lives. When God is at work, he is doing things that it's hard for us to understand. He's somehow taking into account our own sins. He's somehow taking into account the larger plan. There is hardening, there is calling, there is movement. He is at work, but he is at work so that he might be faithful. And he's promised that if you have confessed Jesus as Lord, you will arrive safe on the day of Christ Jesus, that our inheritance is kept in heaven for us, that no weapon that is formed against us will prosper, that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And God is at work to be faithful to his promises. He's also animated by mercy. Do you see what he says? He's bound everyone over to disobedience, so that he can be merciful. God's goal is not to punish. God's goal is not to reject. God's goal is mercy. What he has used, the Jewish rejection of Jesus as Messiah, he's used that to be merciful to you and I who were sinners, separated from God, had no connection to the covenants, to the patriarchs, to the Old Testament, to anything. God has chosen to be merciful, not just to Jewish people, but to the whole world. God will again show his mercy through disobedience from Gentile, but in the end of time, God is aiming to be merciful. That's who he is. And that's what he's up to in your life too. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever wilderness you're walking in, whatever valley you're going through, God is working your sin, your disobedience, the difficulties that others cause, all of that, so that he can be merciful to us. And when we stand back and see what God has been doing in human history, 
when we look at what he's doing in our own lives, we realize his ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. What he has planned, what he is doing, what he is accomplishing is far beyond anything we could ever hope to understand. And so we conclude this morning with the words that Paul concludes with. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen.